You're listening to Second Breaks, a show where we explore midlife transitions and how we can thrive despite, through, and because of them. I'm Lou Blazer, your host and the publisher of Midlife Cues, a weekly newsletter about intentional living and personal growth in midlife. Check it out and subscribe at midlifecues.com. That's midlife, C-U-E-S, one word, dot com. You know, my biggest fear as I get older is the uh, decline and loss of my brain functions. My mother had dementia and the quality of her life, or at least the last eight years of her life, was affected by the decline, the steady decline of her cognitive abilities. But I am not alone with this fear. In fact, I understand that this is like the number one or number two or anyway, in the top three fears of people about aging. And with the alarming uh, statistics on the projected increase in Alzheimer's disease, more than triple in the U.S. by 2050, for instance, it's no wonder that this is a major concern that's like humming in the background, if not exactly top of mind. Which leads me to the very point of this episode, taking care of our brains and improving our brain health has to be top of mind, actually. After all, our brain is the most important organ in our body. My aim in working with people is really to help them fall in love with their brain. It is the most important organ in their body. It's how we think, how we feel, how we act and react in situations. It's, it's our organ of personality and character, our intelligence, our memories. It is everything. So, you know, I would arguably say that it's, it's the most valuable asset that we own. That's Alison Liu, a qualified brain health professional. She is a trained health coach, a Dr. Amen brain health licensed trainer, and is an expert in helping women reclaim their mental sharpness. Alison is with me today to discuss all things brain health, as well as what we can do to protect our brain and keep it healthy so that it can support us for the rest of our lives. Now, one thing that my conversation with Alison really emphasized for me is the uh, interrelatedness of things. In this episode, Alison walks us through the 11 risk factors that affects our brain health. And you will see, or hear rather, that uh, most things that we do, eat, and consume have an impact on our brain. The challenge is because we don't see our brains, taking care of it is not top of mind. As Alison pointed out, we take so much good care of our skin. I mean, we spend all kinds of money and energy on products and rituals to minimize wrinkles and sunspots, for example, but not nearly enough on our most important organ. When we think of our diet, we think mostly about the visible impact of what we eat on our bodies, but not the impact of the foods we consume on our brain. 
the other thing that my conversation with Allison highlighted for me is that the common belief that memory loss is inevitable as we get older is not true. I think for a lot of people, we think that getting memory problems is just an inevitable part of aging. And it, it isn't. Whilst it's very common for people to have memory issues as they get older, it isn't inevitable and it isn't normal. And what many people don't realise is that there's a physical element to mental health and to cognitive health. Our brain is, a, is an organ and it has needs that must be met in order to function optimally. But we're not so aware that our mental health and our cognitive health actually is an indication that our brain needs some support. So I often use an analogy of our brain being like a computer. So the physical functioning of the brain is like hardware and mental health is like the software. And when we start to see mental health and memory issues, it's like the software isn't able to run at its best. And what we fail to realize is that there could be an issue with the hardware. An issue with the hardware. So in fact, the memory lapses that we may be experiencing are actually messages, a way for our brain to communicate that it needs our help. So what can we do? Like, how do we actually help our brain? How do we actually keep it healthy? Now, prior to my conversation with Allison, I read an article that she wrote where she outlined five steps to protect our memory and our brain. And I'm going to include the link to the article and the show notes. But one of the things that she said in that article was to take steps to reduce our risk factors. So, of course, I was immediately curious about these risk factors. What follows here is Alison walking us through the 11 risk factors that impact brain health, describing each risk factor and then the practical steps that we can do to address them. She uses the mnemonic bright mind to help us remember what the 11 factors are. Now, she's going to go through the 11 risk factors, but as she points out, the combination of risk factors will be different for each one of us. So get out your pen and paper, pause this episode if you need to, but get ready to take down notes. All right, here we go. And so B stands for uh, blood flow. So our brain mm. is only about 2% of the weight of our body, but it takes about 20% of the body's blood flow and oxygen. And it takes about 20 to 30% of the body's glucose and energy. So it is an incredibly energy hungry organ in the body. It needs to have all the blood and the nutrients and the oxygen that it needs to function well. And so things then that can impact on that, obviously the good would be making sure to get exercise, keep moving. You, you don't have to uh, run a marathon, <laughs> um, but even just getting a, a brisk walk for 20 minutes, half an hour a day is really good. But also, you know, things like doing the cleaning and the gardening, you know, just being physically active is really good. Because the physical activity 
is good for the blood flow, That's right? right? Yes, exactly. So what you want to do is look after your heart and blood vessels as much as possible, because if those then are lovely and healthy and they're doing their job, getting the blood flow to the brain, then it's just purring away nicely. <laughs> so again, ways to look after our heart and blood vessel. Well, you want to really be avoiding things like high blood pressure, you know, having too much of a sedentary lifestyle, having like furring of the arteries with too much cholesterol or having like uh, what's called atherosclerosis, <laughs> really quite a difficult word, um, but when the, those arteries start hardening and so they become less flexible. So it's again just looking after uh, diet and exercise, but it kind of, when we know that those things are also helping our brain, it just gives that extra impetus to make them a, a priority um, and to yeah invest that time to look after the heart and blood vessels. And on that point, actually blood flow to the brain, reduced blood flow has been shown on brain scan images to be the number one uh, risk factor or predictor of future memory problems and Alzheimer's disease. So it's again, it's one to really take seriously. Okay, so that's um, blood flow. Uh, then we have retirement and aging. So your brain is like a muscle. And in just the same way as we have to exercise our muscles to keep nice and strong, we need to keep exercising our brain and challenging it. The best ways to challenge our brain actually is by learning new things. Um, it makes it a bit uncomfortable and, you know, we have to practice again and again and again. But when we do that, we're forming new neural pathways and then those are connecting with other existing pathways. And it just overall helps our brain uh, to be expansive. Does that make sense? To increase in what it's doing. So it's uh, it's a case of you use it or you lose it and uh, you just want to keep it working hard. You know, different exercises as well can exercise different parts of the brain, which is fascinating. Um, but being intentional and, and just learning uh, new things, don't give up learning. So it's retirement and aging, um, and then inflammation. So chronic inflammation, we know, again, we know about it in our body, don't we? <laughs> you know, it's, it's painful. So we either have those, you know, painful joints or irritable bowel kind of issues, or maybe asthma, neurological uh, diseases, you know, all of those actually are chronic inflammatory diseases. And what we don't realize though, is that inflammation actually is having an impact on our brain. And so doing everything that we can to calm the inflammation down. And it's kind of like a, a double-sided uh, coin, as it were. So one of the things that you want to do is make sure to have an environment in your body uh, that's as anti-inflammatory as possible. So that's things like having omega fish oils, uh, you know, um, omega-3 essential fatty acids, very anti-inflammatory and other things like that that you can do that, that help to put your body in an anti-inflammatory environment. And then what you also want to do is sometimes or quite often there's something that is triggering your immune system to go into overdrive. So normally the immune system, you cut yourself, it launches into action, it 
covers over the wound, forms a scab, makes sure that no bacteria gets into your city. You know, it's, it keeps you safe and alive, and that's fantastic. But after that, it should just calm down and go back to normal. Uh, but what's happening with chronic inflammation is there's something in the body that's triggering that immune system again and again and again and again. Um, so the other side then of the coin is to look at, okay, what is going on in my body? Um, what is making my immune system so angry and triggering it all the time and looking at what those things could be and then taking those, those things out of the equation will then calm that immune system back down again. But yeah, it's really important to look at uh, a chronic inflammation and again, do what we can to calm it down. Uh, G is for genetics and genetics have definitely have a role to play. However, genes load the gun, but actually it's how we live and the environment that we're in that will pull the trigger. And so again, how we live can have a huge impact on the expression of our genes. And so it's not a fait accompli. There are people who have certain genes that make them more vulnerable to future memory problems that don't go and uh, that don't get those memory problems. And there are people that don't have those genes that do go and have the memory problems. So it's all about our lifestyle being intentional and doing the good and avoiding the bad. And we will just reduce the risk of those genes being triggered. Um, H is for head trauma. Head trauma actually is really quite a hidden cause of um, mental health problems. The brain is very soft. You know how when, when you see it, on you know television or anything and it looks kind of like hard and rubbery uh that's yeah. <laughs> when it's been soaked in formaldehyde has that effect on the brain but actually the brain itself inside our skull is very soft and it's huh. more the consistency of like soft butter and yeah oh. which most people are, are not aware but no it's actually very soft and it's housed in a uh, really hard skull obviously to protect it but yes. there are some razor sharp uh, bony edges uh, within the skull kind of just at the temporal lobe level kind of just behind the eyes mm -hmm. and also the brain is f is actually floating inside the skull in cerebrospinal mm -hmm. fluid and so what can happen uh, when we have a head injury is that the brain can shunt it can move inside the skull and can either hit against the, the front part of the, the skull or can, again, get damaged uh, at those sharp edges of the skull that I was talking about. There can be hidden injury in the brain that people aren't even necessarily aware of. And, mm. you know, I, I have a colleague at work and she was explaining that um, her son-in-law had been on a skiing trip and had had this accident, really hurt himself and had like really damaged tendons in his wrist. And of course, again, you can see it, you know, it's out of action and, and you know, it has real yes. impact. And she said to me, I had a, a worse accident than him uh, a few years ago when I was skiing, but all I had was concussion. All I had. <laughs> exactly. And again, because we can't see it and we're not recognizing that actually 
there's there's likely to have been a, a bit of damage uh, going on in there in the brain. And so the brain will have to, just like it does anywhere else, um, the, the brain will um, maybe form some scar tissue and, you know, tries to, to heal the best that it can. But, you know, head oh injuries... Yeah actually can have a, a bigger impact on people's mental health and cognitive health than, than they're aware yeah. of. And so one of the things I would say is just being super intentional about the, the things that we do. You know, we can't avoid accidents that are, are really genuine accidents. But, you know, if I if I go running down the stairs now, I'm kind of like, okay, I know that I need to get downstairs to answer the door. But I'm, I'm not going to harm myself in the process. You know, hold the banister rail. I'm right. very conscious about what I'm doing so that I don't fall down the stairs. It's that kind mm-hmm. of thing. My brother uh, fell down the stairs a f- couple months ago. Mm. And, you know, we were asking about his hip, his shoulder, you know, those kinds of stuff, because those are the visible mm. ones. And we're... I didn't even bother asking whether he hit his head mm. at all during the fall. I was asking about how's your hip? Did you sprain your ankle or your shoulder or whatever? But oh my goodness. Mm. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like um, my, my brother-in-law, he's uh, 75. He's been a farmer all his life. Uh, so he's kind mm-hmm. of like really uh, strong, very capable, outdoorsy kind of person. But in the, in the recent years, he's had a couple of like really um, minor strokes they haven't over affected him but you know his his balance maybe is is not quite as good anymore so mm-hmm. you know my sister goes outside one day and she finds him up a tree on the ladder leaning against the tree and he's kind of waving around the the chainsaw do you know what i mean to to trim the tree mm-hmm. and and it's kind of like okay you know maybe by the time he's 75 and when his balance is no longer so good Maybe it's actually time to get a professional in to come and do the, the job, you know. And yes, again, yeah. it's uh, making those conscious decisions that actually put our brain first um, and, and mm-hmm. make sure that we don't then have those falls if they're avoidable. I like that, putting our brains first, because I think that there's this subconscious thing that goes on in our our minds as we get older that, oh, I can still do this. I'm going to prove to myself and I'm going to prove to people that I could still get up on a ladder or get up on a, like change the bulbs or whatever it is that I'm doing. And then when people say, why are you doing that? You even get annoyed because you think like, what do you think? I can't do this anymore because I'm old or whatever. And so it's almost like a pride thing. But if we reframe it and say, you know what? It's nothing to do with that is I'm protecting my brain. Yeah. Yes, exactly. I like that. I like that very much. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so, All right. Yeah. So I think that was head, head trauma. trauma. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then T uh, stands for toxins. So there have been an estimated 80,000 chemicals introduced into our environment since the Industrial Revolution. And mm. That's a lot of chemicals that we are being exposed to. And so our, our bodies have an amazing ability to detoxify and keep us safe. Um, but the more of those toxins we're exposed to, the harder those organs of detoxification have to work. And so again, two sides, two sides of the coin. One is, how can we look at reducing the, our exposure to some of those toxins? And then the other side is, 
what can we do to support those organs of detoxification just to make sure that they're, they're working as well as they possibly can? And when we have toxins in our body, the body is amazing. And what it's trying to do is get them out of our bloodstream because, of course, it can, it can harm our organs. And so it tends to put it, put the toxins in fat. And that's why you can have that orange peel of uh, cellulitis on mm-hmm. your, uh, certain parts of your body um, again that's kind of where those those toxins have been stored in the fat and it kind of causes that bubbling effect but the the thing mm. is that 70 percent of the solid mass of the brain is fat and so some of those toxins can uh, get into our brain and and be stored there mm. and kind of wreak a bit of havoc so we we really want to reduce um, our exposure you know how I said before about the genes of the loading a gun and Pulling the trigger yes. environment is is one of those things, therefore, that can pull yeah. the trigger. So let me just say, for example, that, yeah. uh, you know, it's estimated that women are uh, put about 500 chemicals on their skin uh, every day. Oh, my goodness. No. <laughs> and when I heard that, I was like, surely not. But, you know, let's have a little think just between you and me now. What kind of products are women putting on their skin every day? Right. I mean, between the moisturizers and the serums and the SPFs and the exactly, <laughs> and that's just on my face. Exactly. <laughs> I don't forget what I put the rest of my body. I know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. The shower gel, shampoo, conditioner, body oh, lotions, yes. body sprays. I mean, like really, and it is kind of like actually. You know, when you see the list of ingredients as well on some of those products, you think, well, it's actually probably really quite easy to hit 500. And I'm like, that's just shocking. You know, so when I learned that, I was kind of like, right, okay, what can I do here to reduce that load? Because, I mean, that's just not cool. Whatever goes on our skin goes into our body. Mm. Uh, and so, yeah, mm. uh, making conscious, again, decisions about what we therefore put on our skin um, and just choosing the ones with the the best yes. most natural products we can find uh, so that, that's toxins and then m is for mental health mental health can have really quite a potent impact on our overall health um, so people are living you know of often with chronic stress but what that often does is uh, you know they're they're more likely to eat poorly um, you know, eating on the run, eating comfort type foods, you know, so they're not eating very well, you know, they're because they're so stressed and hyped, they're not sleeping very well. And, you know, so it kind of has this ripple effect uh, on our health and wellness. And so that's why it is one of the, the risk factors, because actually, we really need to do everything we can to put our body in like a, a healing, resting state and not constantly in that fight or flight state. It's it's funny, and I know we have four more to go through, but already I can see how interrelated yeah, things are. Exactly. And also a lot of what's, what's really um, getting to me now is that a lot of the things that I never associated uh, to have impact on my brain health actually do. So for example, like inflammation and, and blood flow. I mean, I had never imagined that those have, uh, you know, an impact on my brain. So this has been, this is really eye opening. Yeah. Wow. Okay. okay. <laughs> Let's go through the rest. Right. Yeah. 
Um, so that's M for mental health, and then I is for immunity and infections. So, you know, if you know of anybody who's ever had like Lyme disease or um, even COVID-19, you can see the effect of a residual infection, how, how it can have impact on um, causing brain fog and real, really finding it difficult to pull the thoughts together. And so, again, double-sided coin, what can we do to reduce our risk of exposure to infections? And two, how can we, on the flip side, how can we support our immune system so that it, it does its job really well at helping to keep us safe? You know, when it comes to supporting our immune system, um, various things that you can do, making sure to have adequate levels of vitamin D uh, in your body. Um, there's an optimal range to be within. And also... Um, looking after your gut microbiome because actually 70% of our immune system is in our guts and so doing everything that we can to really look after that microbiome will protect us and so that's immunity infections then N stands for neurohormone deficiencies so like I said before the brain is an organ it has needs and it needs chemicals to function optimally. So whether that's neurotransmitters or hormones, enzymes, all kind of things. Mm-hmm. And so when our hormones are out of balance, we most likely are not going to be feeling great. Um, so if our thyroid is under-functioning, so you've got low thyroid function, what that does is it kind of slows everything down in the body because it's it helps with metabolism. And so, you know, your heart beats a little bit slower, your digestion goes slower, but also your cognitive function slows down as well. Um, again, that can be one of those causes of brain fog. And so making sure to, that your thyroid is functioning well and you're producing all of the thyroid hormones that you need to, it's not having that chronic stress because that can that can just cause an imbalance in hormones. Mm-hmm. So that's neurohormone deficiencies, almost there. Uh, D is for diabetes and obesity. And oh, yeah. yeah, and this one mm. is a really challenging one to talk about because it, it just impacts on so much on our health. And yet it's a, it's a really hard one for some people to bring under mm-hmm. control, especially um, high blood sugar levels. So again, if we're looking at how the brain functions, when the brain doesn't get everything that it needs in order to protect itself, it starts shrinking its, its function. When somebody has type 2 diabetes, what's happened is over time, the body's become less and less uh, sensitive to insulin, uh, which helps to get glucose inside cells. I hope this isn't getting too technical. But no, not for right. me. <laughs> so it helps to get glucose inside the cells. And so let's say, let's say you've got all these uh, insulin receptors on cells and they like function a bit like a lock and key. So insulin comes along, opens up the lock, glucose gets into the cells. But what happens when we have too much glucose on a regular basis, so it's like constantly high blood sugar, the cells kind of go, oh my goodness, we've, we've got too much glucose going on here. And what it starts doing is shutting down some of those receptors. 
until eventually it shuts down more and more and more in order to try to protect the cells because there's too much glucose. That then leads to insulin resistance. So your body's still pumping out the insulin to get the sugar, the glucose out of your blood, but it can't go anywhere because the cells have stopped responding. The, the critically important thing to understand is that, like I mentioned before, the brain is energy hungry. You know, it takes 20 to 30% of your body's glucose. So when your brain stops responding to the energy, it's not getting the energy that it, that it needs. So it's your, your body as well should be able to shift between glucose burning and what we call ketone burning. So fat burning should be able to switch between the two. But of course, if we've been on this high glucose, diet, it it stops learning how to shift from one to the other because, of course, all yes. it's doing is burning glucose all the time. It's like it's stuck in one that's here. That's right. That's right. Yeah, and so right, right. it's kind of, um, so one of the things that's really important, I can't stress this enough, to help protect the brain is actually getting blood sugar levels under control. And, yes. you know, in the UK, uh, the National Health Service um it recommends eating no more than 30 grams of added sugar a day. And actually, mm. that's one of the mm. highest uh, countries. There are some that set it around 25 grams a day of added sugar. Mm. What is 30 grams of sugar from like a... It's about uh, six to seven teaspoons. And, you know, most people will think, well, I don't have six to seven teaspoons of sugar a day. That's just ridiculous. But actually, <laughs> the average Brit, and again, other countries can be worse than this, the average Brit has a hundred grams of added sugar a day. Wow. That's more than yeah. three times the amount that they ought yeah. to be having. And so, so then you kind of think, where, where are we getting this from? That's, that's crazy, <laughs> you know? And, you know, so we're, we're drinking sugar. So whether we're having it in, um, sugary sodas or fruit juices or, um, you know, adding sugar ourselves to drink, you know, iced tea has got quite a lot of sugar in it. So we're drinking too much sugar. And, you know, the processed foods in order to make them as desirable as possible, more and more sugar has been added. So you'd be surprised if you look at pizzas, they've got sugar in and you kind of like, What's that all about? You know, if you were to make it. Because it's not even sweet. If you were making a pizza from scratch, you wouldn't put sugar in it, you know. And it's like breads. It's very hard actually to find a bread Mm. that doesn't have sugar in. And yet if you make bread, Mm. it's flour, water, yeast, and yeah, that's it. You know, (laughs) it it doesn't (laughs) need the the sugar. And so it's insidious. It's everywhere. So one of the things I really encourage people to do is just get curious. Just start reading labels. And, you know, they the food manufacturers, again, in order to not have sugar listed as the first ingredient, they call them by various different names. So anything ending in O, so maltose, dextrose, sucrose, you know, anything like that is a sugar. And then just start reading labels. If you Mm -hmm. can see several sugars in there, it's kind of like, okay, this is not going to be so good for me. Um, And also, you know, you could be really quite surprised. There are some ingredients on packets and I'm like, I literally don't know how to pronounce that. You know, if you don't know how to pronounce it, 
maybe it's not so great to be maybe eating not. it, you know? <laughs> Just, to, I don't know if this is going to take us to a different turn. And I know there's one last thing, which is very important. But uh, just before we leave the D-diabetes is that I think I remember reading, and I don't know if this is widely accepted already, but there are some, there are some groups that call uh, Alzheimer as diabetes type yes. 3 or something to That's that effect right. that they've linked. Alzheimer's to diabetes directly. In research circles, it's often referred to as type 3 diabetes. We now know that type 2 diabetes increases the risk of Alzheimer's disease by 50 to 60%. And so what that means is that about 70% of people who have type 2 diabetes can go on to get Alzheimer's disease in comparison to about 10% of the population that don't have diabetes. Mm-hmm. The, yeah. the yeah. impact on exactly. the brain is so significant. Like I say, if there's one thing that people can do is to try to get that blood sugar under control. And, you know, in order to do yeah. that, try to get out as much simple carbs from their diet, uh, including that sugar. And the, the, it's really important as well to, to note that actually, Switching to artificial sweeteners isn't good either. Um, so we really kind of just <laughs> mm. need to retrain actually our taste buds to n- not need so much sweetness Dark. anymore. Just trying to, to curb those sugar cravings. And what, what will happen is they will, gra- they will gradually decrease and, and your taste buds will kind of reset. Now mm. I, I, don't really eat sugar. I don't have sugar in the house. Um, and so the only time I would have sugar is kind of probably in a bit of dark chocolate. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I have a lovely diet and I have lots of like fruit and what have you. And so, you know, but I, I just don't eat sugar. And so now if I have something sweet, it's, you know, very rarely, but you know, I can every now and then, could, yeah. but it's kind of like, Oh my goodness, that is just so sweet yeah. because of course my taste buds have changed. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And the last yes. one, which is also one of the most important ones and should be easy, but it's also it's hard. hard. I do understand, especially again at midlife. Um, and that is mm. S stands for sleep. Um, and, yes. you know, whilst we're asleep, something amazing happens in our brain. So several things, really. You know, our memories are consolidated and new learning as well is consolidated. Mm-hmm. But our brain gets a wash. And so remember me saying that there's that cerebrospinal fluid. And what happens is when we sleep, that kind of washes through the brain. Isn't that amazing? It's called the glymphatic system. And so what it does is take away any dead cells that have accumulated during the day, because of course our cells are turning over all the time, and also trying to get out some of those toxins as well within the brain. But that only happens when we sleep. And so it's so important to try to get those seven to eight hours of really good quality sleep, you know, really as as a regular. And, you know, if we don't, then what happens is those things then start to build up and Again, the body tries to cope with that the best that it can, but then will take action to try to protect itself. Mm -hmm. And so that's where you get things like amyloid plaque formation. You know, that's, that's trying to protect your brain. So, you know, there's a, there's a lot of 
treatments, almost medical uh, interventions that are looking at mm-hmm. ways of kind of reducing or getting rid of the uh, the amyloid, the beta amyloid or the tau proteins. But, you know, there's there's actually a reason why those things are um, accumulating in the brain. And so sleep can go a long way to, to help that not happen. Phew, did you get all that? Fortunately, this is a podcast and you can rewind and review the risk factors that are particularly relevant to your circumstances, especially now that you've heard them all. You can just go back to the ones that are particularly relevant to you. But that last one, sleep is so important. About three or four years ago, when I really started reading up on brain health and I understood the importance of sleep, I actually rearranged my life so that it is the most important activity that I do today, which, you know, it's kind of funny to say sleep is an activity, but it is. (laughs) Sometimes friends and family laugh at me or get frustrated because my schedule revolves around my sleeping time, as in I protect my sleep schedule above all else, but that is how it is to prioritize sleep, my friend. But anyway, I had so many follow-up questions for Allison and so many other things concerning our brain health that I wanted to discuss with her. But this is getting to be a long episode as it is, so I'm just going to have to bring her back for another round. In the meanwhile, I'll put a link to her article in the show notes, as well as links to Allison's website and LinkedIn account where you can connect with her directly. Alison told me that her aim is really to help us fall in love with our brains, which I think is such a fantastic thing to be, you know, to be in love with our brains, right? Don't you think? I think. Anyway, Alison has this wonderful program that you can check it out uh, if you want to work with her. The link in the show notes again. But um, she's actually extended an offer to Second Breakers. And then what I would also like to offer actually for your listeners today is, you know, listening again to a podcast like this is so helpful. But as I said, each person is a bit different. So what I'd like to offer is three free coaching sessions uh, for your listeners today. Mm -hmm. So for anyone who wants to optimize the health of their brain can have the opportunity to do so. So for the first three people to book a call with me using this code, it's SB23 for second breaks, 23, they will have one Mm -hmm. free coaching session with me. And, you know, if after that they feel like they would like to work together, then we can talk about that afterwards. But on that call, I want to make sure that they have a session that really helps them to get clear on what it is they want, how they're going to get there. And uh, so, yes, that's what I would love to offer. At 25, I was quite adventurous uh, and I was doing a lot of traveling that I really enjoyed. Today, I would say that I am more at peace with who I am. There's this saying that when you're 18, you worry about what everyone thinks of you. When you're 40, you don't care what anyone thinks about you. But when you're 60, you realize that no one's been thinking about you at all. And and I'm heading towards that age. And so I'm like, you know, really, I get that now. 
I want to thank Allison again for sharing her experience and insight and her generous offer to Second Breakers. Again, check out the show notes at secondbreaks.com for all the relevant links. This is the end of the Midlife Health and Wellbeing series. If you've missed the other episodes in the series, please do check them out on your feed. And I'll also put a link to the previous episodes in the show notes. So we're going to be back in a couple of weeks with a new mini-series for the whole month of July. This new series is going to be focused on retirement readiness, and most importantly, the non-financial aspects that are critical for us to consider as we plan for life after we leave our corporate life. So if you haven't yet, now is a good time to hit that subscribe or follow button so as not to miss that upcoming series. Thank you, my dear listener friend, for joining me today. If you like this episode, please do me a solid and share it with a friend or two who could benefit from this discussion around brain health. I mean, really, who won't benefit from this conversation, right? So go ahead, share it freely. Okie dokie. So I'll be back with a new series on retirement readiness in a couple of weeks. Until then, keep on making your dent, my friend. Cool beans. Cool beans.